Good morning, Harlem. It's good to see everybody. Today is a very special day. We have a married uh, young couple crossing over into the uh, Fellowship of the Rings. But we also, well, at least I'm celebrating a very special day today. Is a couple that already crossed over to the Fellowship of the Rings 18 years ago. Today is my wife and I's 18th anniversary. So happy anniversary, Zalika Warren. Where are you? Around here somewhere. All right. Let's go to God the Word of Prayer. Today we're going to conclude our Covenant Relationship Series. And I'm really, I hope you guys have enjoyed this as much as I have. And um, I've just gotten so many convictions from it all. And and um, I just want to make sure that we leave understanding that our relationships don't just rest here in Harlem. And we are part of a kingdom. We're part of an extended family. And God wants our commitment not to just be with each other, but to go beyond these four walls. Amen. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father God, we want to thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you so much for... Uh, Lamaka and, and Miriam and just their example and uh, just how you've really used them over the years to uh, not only uh, help and serve so many people, God, but just as an example of humility and uh, just appreciate their hearts and showing how uh, through the cross we are all connected and committed to one another and how Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be there for one another, showing us that example of what it looks like uh, to lay your lives down for those you love. And I pray that we can uh, imitate that in our relationships, Father. I pray that today's message will help us and inspire us to take it even higher. God, I pray that you will bless our efforts to grow closer to one another, to uh, recommit ourselves to one another, and to reap the rewards of being in, the, in these relationships. And I pray that you will inspire us, Father, to invest in the relationships abroad. We love and thank you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we conclude our covenant relationship series, I want to uh, close with the focus on our extended relationships. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the Bronx and lower Manhattan. I'm talking about across the ocean. We have brothers and sisters that we may never get to meet on this side of heaven. But God still expects us to be as committed to them as if they were sitting right next to you here today. Now we looked at King David's commitment to his relationship with Jonathan and how Jonathan extended that relationship. And so I want to call the last series, the last lesson in the series, reinvesting in relationships. Because as we saw, Jonathan invested in David. He initiated with David. He reached out to David. And we saw that David, for a while, he benefited from Jonathan reaching out to him, from Jonathan initiating with him. And then later on in the relationship, we see David growing. And David, not only did he initiate with Jonathan, but he also went beyond his relationship with Jonathan and extended that invitation to Jonathan's family. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 42, says, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying... The Lord is witness between you and me and beyond your descendants and my descendants forever. That covenant relationship wasn't just uh, confined to their 
individual relationship. Had David, had Jonathan lived long enough to see the birth of David's sons, Jonathan would have been as committed to David's children as he was to David. And we'll see here that Jonathan, although he was dead and he had, he had passed on, David's love for Jonathan did not stop. In fact, it went on with his children. And Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled and helpless. And last time we talked about this, we realized that, you know, it's, it's easy to take care of someone who's easy to take care of, isn't it? But when you realize that, man, this kid has some issues or, or there's some special needs there, that, that kind of gives us a little reason for pause because we know the challenges that come with taking care of someone who's helpless. But that did not stop David from extending his love and commitment in his covenant relationship to Jonathan's kids. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, it says, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grand, grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Here again we see David not only extending this commitment to Jonathan's children, but he even goes as far as extending it to Mephibosheth's servant and his family. And then he said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands the servant to do. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You know, he took him in and he treated him just as if he was his own son. Now, traditionally, when a king was replacing another king, they would wipe out the opposing king's family. And we know that God, David was so humble that he not only... Uh, was given Jonathan's place, but he accepted the relationship. And David did not let this relationship, he did not let this, this newfound uh, fame get to his head. In fact, it kept him humble. And he did not let that come between him and his friend. And he extends it to his family. Mephibosheth got to reap the blessing of his father's relationship with David. You know, our kids get to reap the, the benefits of our friendship. You know, the closer we are uh, in our relationship, our kids benefit from that. So, you know, when you want to go on a date, right, and you got a close friend with another couple and say, hey, we like to go out on a date. Could you watch the kids? That's a benefit right there. You know, I mean, look, one of the things we love to do in our families is we like to receive hand-me-downs and we like to give away hand-me-downs. And let me tell you, my kids have benefited from your kids outgrowing their clothes. And, and, and look, and that's just how it works. We're not too above receiving gifts. Your sacrifice has become our blessing. And our blessing has become, and it's just paid on, you know. So that's how it is. And in many other ways, we get to benefit from our relationships with each other. And I believe that that's how God intended all spiritual relationships to be. 
David treated Jonathan's children like one of his own. And he also made sure that he was provided for, that he didn't want for anything. He couldn't go out and work. He couldn't provide for himself. Even though he had a son of his own, David took his whole family in and treated him like one of his own with royalty. And we see this commitment throughout the first century church. It's almost as if David was setting the tone for what God's people would look like in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 39, we see God, Peter, reminding the people. He's extending this relationship. He says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then in verses 42 to 47, it says that the churches, they got off uh, to a good start here and they devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teachings and leadership and direction. It says that they gave to anyone as they had needed. And the Lord added to that number daily those who were being saved. You know, it's, a, it's encouraging to hear how the Opas went through a struggling time and people were there for them. And, you know, that's how it is in the church. That's how it is in the real families. When you're, when you're in need, people are there for you as much as they can be. And, and so that's how God has always intended his children to be, to take care of each other's needs so that there are no needy people in God's church. Now, we can't help everybody outside the church. That's a huge task. But God still expects us to make every effort to show and extend his love beyond the church. And which is why we reach out to the lost, which is why we reach out to the poor. And, and you're not going to be able to help everyone because it's, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes. You know, my wife and I, we, we went away for our anniversary this week. We went and we visited Chicago. Now, for all the Knicks fans, just look, I understand. That that's a place we're never supposed to set foot. But we had good reason, all right? And we went, we, we, we drove to Chicago, we, we stayed for a while. You know, and the city is beautiful. I don't know how they were able to do it, but they are clean. I was amazed. I'm like, babe, you know, I, there's no trash on the floor. And, and it's something that really stood out, there was no dog presence on the floor. And I'm like, how do they do this? And, and it's just, it looks just like New York. But one thing I did notice is that they, did, they had their homeless and, you know, after a few people you give a little, you know, give a little something to, you you start to get a little overwhelmed. Like, man, I can't give every, I can't give to everybody. And, and you know, sometimes we, we can get a little guilty or get down on ourselves because we want to help everybody, but we can't. And so that's why we shouldn't do it alone. And why God expects everyone to participate in meeting those needs. And we'll talk more about that later. But, you see, with David and Jonathan, David, we see here... Uh, we see the contrast between the promise that David and Jonathan had for each other in 1 Samuel 20, verses 42. And we see the contrast with God, the promise that God made to his people. And then we see the practice. We see David actually following through with his promise to uh, Jonathan's children. And then we see the church following through with their promise and commitment to each other. No one was needy. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts in each other's homes. You know, this is why I believe the first century church didn't focus on, put their entire focus on having 
a, a building to meet in because it gave them opportunity to meet in each other's homes. It gave them opportunity to, to, to share and worship with glad and sincere hearts. You can't do that at the temple. And also the temple was a, was a, was a, a, a prime target for persecution. You knew exactly where the Christians were at. They're going to meet at the temple. And so the fact that they were able to meet in each other's home provided safety and security for the disciples in the first century church. So it had its purpose. You know, David was not only committed to taking care of the physical needs of Mephibosheth, he also wanted to preserve Jonathan's legacy. Now the church does not only meet the physical needs of one another, we're committed to keeping Jesus' legacy of faith alive. We want people to grow in their faith. We want people to grow in their walk with God. We want people to mature in Christ and not just have their physical needs met, but to have their spiritual needs met. And that takes sacrifice. That takes investment of time, and that takes investment in resources. You know, God is all about relationships, and he's all about adding more and more and more to his kingdom. And to see that happen, you and I have to reinvest our resources in the relationships. It's the only way God can keep our hearts connected and invested in the seeking and saving the lost and maturing each other. So God calls us to reinvest in relationships. So I have one simple point. The reason that you and I are blessed is so that we can reinvest. You ever wonder why you have so much money? You ever wonder why you have so much time? You ever wonder why you have so many clothes and resources? It's not just so you can bask in it like Scrooge McDuck and swim through all that, all that, that, that material possession. It's so that you can reinvest in people. That's why we're blessed. Because here's the truth, guys. You can't take it with you. Think about that for a minute. I just recently cleaned out my mother's storage unit. She's had now for over two years since she had passed. And literally, it was stocked with stuff from the floor to the ceiling. All stuff that she left behind. Think about that. When you look in your closets, are there some things that you just, you know, you just don't need? You say, well, J.G., I got a lot of stuff. I got, you know, I got some bags of shoes, and I got some shirts, and I got some things I can bring. Right, well, let's, let's, let's take it a little higher. How about looking at your bank account? When you look in your bank account, do you see an opportunity for God to use you to reinvest in relationships? And that's where it gets real quiet. So I'm going to help us out. Because first things first, it ain't your money. It's not. Now I understand if you're visiting and you don't want to come back. We understand. We only, we only want the really committed here anyway. We don't play church. And God doesn't play with it either. 
at the end of the day, who gave you your ability to work? Who made all those intricate connections to make sure that you arrived at that interview at the right time, that you impressed, that you were on point, that out of all the applicants, some more qualified, some probably better qualified, some maybe even better looking, well-dressed, but somehow you got it. You think that was coincidence? You think that was coincident? You think that, that, that they woke up and said, you know what, I don't care. First of all, you're just a name on a sheet of paper with a bunch of sentences. They didn't see you. They don't know your personality. It was God. Listen to what the Bible says. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree, belongs to who? To the Lord. It is holy. To the Lord. What does that mean? Holy means to be set apart for God's purposes only. As God's holy people, guess what? You are set apart for God's purposes only. And if your wallet is in your pocket and in, because you belong to God, it's attached to you, guess what? It is set apart for God's purposes. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, those entrusted with the secret things of God was what? Prove faithful. God has entrusted you and I with a purpose, with a mission, and we must prove faithful. Who's the first one you turn to when you lose your job? Because at some point we realize, man, it was God who helped me get the job, so now I need God to help me get another job. Or God help me get out of this job and find a better job. Because I know some of us are praying that too. Lord, please get me up out of here. Or Lord, I've been working here for so long, I deserve a promotion. I deserve a raise. They're overlooking me. I work hard. I'm faithful. I come on time. I don't take longer breaks. Help me out. And God comes through. God blesses us. Not just so that we can live comfortably, but so that we can reinvest in relationships. God is all about relationships. Every dollar in your pocket is connected to a person, a life. It affects, it affects someone's life somehow. When you buy Starbucks, you're paying somebody's salary. You're making someone a profit. When you get on the bus or the train, it affects someone's life somehow, some way. And when we give back for God's purposes, it has an eternal impact that we may never get to see while we're on earth, but we'll get to see our brothers and sisters in heaven. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, actually 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you know, Paul tells us exactly why God provides more money than we need. Since God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat, in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched every way for what, church? So that you can always be generous. I didn't put that in there. 
That's not my translation or interpretation. It's there. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. It's not so we can indulge ourselves or even spoil our children. And let me tell you, it is easy to spoil your children. We try not to, but our, grand, uh, our kids' parents, grandparents are not on the same page right now. We gotta work, we gotta work, we're still working on that. We're like, please don't get them anything, and they come home with a bunch of stuff, and then they go, there's, there's the next Devo. So that we can always be generous. You know, while we were in Chicago, I was sharing a moment with my wife. I went down to the store, and I had a hankering for dessert, and I got some fruit. Y'all be proud of me. I got some fruit. <laughs> and as I'm in the store, I noticed that there was a guy, as, we, as I walked into the cash register, there was a guy who looked, you know, he looked homeless. I didn't want to judge, but he did look, you know, like he didn't have a place to stay. And as I'm walking to the register, I noticed that he took a handful of candy bars and took a couple and put them in his pocket and went to the register for, to pay for one. Now, I'm faced with the dilemma. I'm like, why, Lord, did you let me see that? <laughs> All these people here, you let me see it? So now I'm thinking, what do I do? Now, the, the Brooklyn side of me is like, Jay, you better not snitch. But then the Jesus side of me is like, bro, that's wrong. So I decided, you know what? When I come up, when I get up to pay for my stuff, I'll just tell them I paid for what, what the guy took. So I, that was my plan. So I got to the register. By the time I looked up, he was already gone. And apparently the alarm went off because when she rung up the candy bar, he tried to walk past and something kept ringing. <laughs> And then that's when security came over and relieved him of his, his midnight snacks. And I felt bad. I felt bad because, not because I didn't get a chance to pay, because I thought, man, that could have been me. And as I walked back to the hotel room, I had a, I had a moment of clarity. Like, I said, what was the, what's the difference? Like, what happened in his life that didn't happen in mine and what could have happened in my life that didn't, like, I'm just, like, how did he end up like this and I end up where I'm at? How did that happen? I could have faced the same tragic situation, made the same choices, that could have landed me in the same position. But for some reason, God has me where I'm at. I don't know if you've ever felt helpless in your life before. If you've ever felt helpless, then you know what it feels like to be poor. And when I read this scripture, I can think, that's it right there. God blessed me so that I can reinvest in people. So that I can reinvest in people. A tragedy could befall any of us. Just like that. A fire can destroy everything you own, and you may find yourself trying to figure out how you're going to get by. You know, when you, when you get that kind of perspective, it makes you grateful for the little things that you have. 
I went upstairs and I enjoyed that cup of fruit like it was the last cup of fruit I was going to have in my life. Because I was just grateful. I'm like, man, God, I, I have a job where I can pay for this. I didn't have to steal this. It just made me grateful. You know, Paul talks about God blessing us, giving us things to enjoy for our use. But he also expects us to invest back in his work. Paul continues with the reasons why. He says, so two good things will result from the ministry of the giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks for God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. You know, when you're on the receiving end, it's humbling. It's humbling. And I bet it feels like, just like what Paul says, a gift too wonderful for words. But the needs can be met, and God expects us to meet those needs. Now, God is God. God could have rained down money like he did manna on the Israelites. But for some reason, God chose to use people to help other people. And I believe so that people can actually see the face of God through each other. And so every, you know, Paul called on the well-off Gentiles, and it's interesting how here we see the Gentiles coming to the needs of the Jews. Because if you remember, remember the conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman? She said, we don't talk to you Jews. You guys don't consider us, you know, we're called, you guys call us dogs, in other words. And now here we see after Jesus had died, after the barriers had been broken down, after the walls came down, now we see the Gentiles in a position to help the Jews. Imagine where their hearts could have gone. Wait a second. Now you're coming to the dogs for help? But Paul was like, no. We're family. And your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem need your support. And you can give it because you are blessed. And it's time to reinvest. And Paul did not hesitate to call them to step up to meet the need. This was a special contribution. This is where we get it from. This is where we get it from. This just wasn't something we came up with. This is biblical. There are needs in some of our churches that they can't meet on their own, and they count on those of us who are well off enough to help meet those needs. In 2 Corinthians 8, you know, our special contribution is, is part of our extended relationship with our brothers and sisters across the waters. And once a year, the church takes up what we call a special contribution to fulfill our commitment abroad. And I think it's, I think it's important for us to be reminded of that. You know, we have, uh, in addition, for those of you who are visiting, you know, in addition to our weekly contribution, once a year we take up a special contribution where we give a multiple of what we give each week 
to send as a one-time gift each year to help meet those needs of our foreign brothers and sisters. You know, our Caribbean churches, we have 14 churches in Haiti that we support. New York supports the Haitian church alone. We have seven churches in Jamaica and a church in Suriname we support. Part of our extended relationship. Our African churches, we have 32 churches that New York helps support in uh, the French-speaking West Africa. You know, we give them. And those brothers and sisters, let me tell you, they, every time I go to a conference and I fellowship one of those leaders, they say, make sure you tell the church in New York, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Every time. And I am not exaggerating. Every time I see a leader from our churches in, in Africa, they say, bro, please tell them we think we're so grateful for the New York church. They're grateful. And then we set aside a sum to, to help with the mission work here in New York. We want to train up and raise up uh, young leaders that can come and, and, and help move the church forward and take care of some of these. I don't know if you guys understand what we're up against here in New York. We have almost 3,000 disciples in the New York church. Guess how many staff, full-time and part-time staff we have? 48. You do the math. 48 men and women to meet the needs of almost 3,000. It's not easy. It's not easy. How does this affect Harlem? I'm going to tell you how, since you asked so nicely. We need help right here locally. And part of our contribution will go to help meet the needs right here in Harlem. Yes, we need to meet those needs, those needs abroad, but part of meeting those needs is raising up leaders right here at home. And look, we're still about sending off mission teams. We still have a lot of work to do, a lot of places in New York State that we still need to evangelize. But we need resources to be able to do that. You know, when you read in the book of Acts, the church took up collections and laid it at the apostles' feet because they were invested in the mission. Do this. Get the men and women you need. And we see how the church exploded in growth because they had the people to do the work. So how does this affect Harlem? Well, we have four major needs in Harlem. Four. I'm just going to narrow it down to four, all right? There's a lot of needs, but we only have four that I'm going to focus on today. One, we need a full-time campus leader to lead with our awesome sister, Leslie Madison. Right now, Leslie is the only full-time campus leader that we have here in Harlem. We need a guy that we can, that we can lead. God is going to provide him, but we need to have the money to hire him once God does provide him. We don't want a guy, uh, we don't want someone who can meet the need to walk out the door because we can't afford to hire him. And we need that. Some of us here are, benefit, are products of this campus ministry. Charles Sands. Amaldi De La Cruz. Uh, who else? Clive Whiteley. Stand up if you were converted in the, in the City College campus ministry. Just stand right up. Look at this. And here's the amazing thing about this is that they all reinvested. They're all giving back in one way or another. They're all serving. They're all giving. 
But these are some awesome people. I remember when Charles got baptized. I remember when Amaldi was a young Christian. I remember standing, studying the Bible with Clive and studying the Bible with Gene and thinking, man, we're going to turn the world upside down with these people. We still have that that vision. And it's time for us to give some new people a chance to turn this world upside down for the glory of God. Number two, our edge ministry. Look, we want to be able to hire a full-time couple to lead our edge ministry in Harlem. At some point in time, you know, Maudi and Anika De La Cruz stepped in to fill a gap, and we're so grateful for them, but Maudi ain't quitting his job. Anika ain't quitting her job. We got to give them someone that they can train and raise up that can take it to 20 and 30 years down the line. Well, maybe not that long, but at least 20 years down the line. This is our vision. This is how it impacts us. And third, we got a vision. We want to be able to hire a full-time Latin kid, uh, a bilingual couple. We have a huge, huge Latin community here in Harlem. But we need people who can focus on reaching that community. We have awesome, the Ortiz, the Espinals, the Harveys. We got all these people who invested time. They're tired. They got kids. They can't run around and do all the things that a full-time couple will get paid to do. That's our vision. That's what we want to happen. But we got to invest. And then lastly, we want to hire a full-time youth and family couple. We already have a young couple in that spot. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could hire Diamond and Dylan Stanislaus? To do it full time for us? They're already doing a great job. God is already blessing their leadership. God is already uh, blessing their impact and influence on our youth ministry. I mean, it would be awesome to be able to add them to the team. I don't know of any parent that would not want to see their child given a chance to come to Christ as a teenager. At least have the influence and impact and attention that they can provide if they were freed up of every other distraction and can focus solely on that need. We have these needs. We have these needs. And God has blessed us so that we can invest in meeting these needs. You know, in Matthew 9, Jesus reminds us that the harvest is plentiful. But it's the workers that are few. 3,048. 3,048. And the church is only going to grow. The church is only going to grow. And that means if the church continues to grow, our staff should be at a point where we can manage and help lead these people. Let me tell you something. Our leadership is not getting younger, guys. We're not getting any younger. We got to invest in the future. We've got to raise up young leadership that can help us keep the church going so that our kids and your grandkids can have a church like this to be a part of. That they can have that descendant-to-descendant relationship that David had with Jonathan. But it's going to take our commitment in us reinvesting in that. You know, I remember a, uh, a scene from the movie Schindler's List. And there was this man... Uh, he saved over 1,100 Jews. 
And Schindler could have saved more lives. He could have done more. And at the end of the movie, there's this heart-wrenching scene in which Oscar Schindler, who bought from the Nazis with his own money to save lives, he regrets that he could have done more. He starts to reflect on all the money that he just spent and threw away and didn't invest in the lives of saving others. Let's take a listen. Intense, right? You know, I don't know if you heard what the uh, Jewish man with the glasses said. He said, there'll be generations because of you. 
And Schindler, in his, in his mind, he connected his wealth, his blessings to a person. A person. You know, there's this, uh, I think it's a State Farm commercial. It's a commercial that comes on TV. And it shows this lady and, you know, talks about, you know, she's like, yeah, I want to get that. How, many, how much uh, sleep this is going to cost me? And she connects her, her material wealth with how much it's going to take away from her. And, you know, I think that when we look at what God gives us and what God has blessed us with as men, this is, this is something that I could use to help somebody then we're seeing it the way God wants us to see it. We're seeing it the way God wants us to see it. You know, I believe that when Jesus was getting flogged, just before going to the cross, what kept him going was our faces, knowing that each lash meant that one more person would be saved, knowing that each, each insult that was hurled at him, that he did not retaliate from, meant that one more person would believe. Every sacrifice we make is connected to a soul. You and I are here today because of sacrifices made by others. And it's not just physical, spiritual and financial sacrifices so that you and I can have a place to call home and learn to learn, to learn uh, about God. You know, we need more people with hearts like this. And we already have a lot right here in Harlem. I, you know, when I saw this video, I thought, man, there, there are going to be people in Harlem who are already doing that just like he was. He said, you already saved 1,100 people. You already saved a lot. And his heart was more. Yeah, I could have done more. And I think that that's the heart of some of you right here today. You already give enough. You already sacrifice enough. And you want to do more. But I want to encourage those who haven't committed to have this heart, to have that heart. You know, Paul goes on and he talks about not wanting us to be hard-pressed so that others could live. You know, God still wants us to live within our means. God doesn't want you to be homeless so that you can give the home to someone else. That's not what God is saying. God is just saying, keep the right perspective on what I give you. Use it for the purpose that I gave it to you. It's okay to have a home. It's okay to drive a nice car. It's okay to buy, enough, buy a nice pair of shoes. It's okay to get you a flat screen TV as long as you don't rob God. As long as you don't get your priorities out of order. You know, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the gift of giving. Paul encouraged the Corinthians to take it higher. Just as much as the elders of our church are asking us to take our special contribution higher. You know, in the past, there was a time when these needs, you know, when I, when I came back on staff in 2007, there were enough staff people to fill a, a small living room. It was about maybe 30 of us at the time. And this was back in 2007. And gradually we were able to add more staff to help meet the needs in the church 
because you decided to reinvest in the church. And so God has gotten us to where we're at now, but we still need more. So I think Sam and the elders came together and figured out, well, we got we to encourage the church to take it higher. And you know what the church did? We stepped up and we met the need. We gave the goal of 365 per person. That was last year's goal. That was two years ago. Now the church, the elders are asking us to take it up a notch because the needs are still great. And even though we're able to, to, to meet some needs now, we're not able to meet all the needs that we can at the current rate of giving that we're at. Does that make sense? And so our elders are asking us to take it higher. In 2017, our goal was 365 per, per, per member. Starting in 2018, they're asking the church to give 10 times their weekly contribution, which will not increase going forward. This is going to be what we have going forward. And the church is basically going to learn to operate within that. And so we're going to have to figure out other ways to, to cut and to maneuver our finances so that we can make sure we prioritize getting more help, meeting more needs in the church locally and abroad. But this is going to be our goal going out. So what does that look like? Well, we, if you give $100 a week, then your special contribution goal will be 10 times that, which will be 1000 You do the math. You know what it, look, what, it, what it looks like. $50 a week, multiply that by 10, 500 Now we know some people are not prepared to do that now. You have already planned what you're going to give. Amen. Give what you set in your heart to give. But this is a goal we want to eventually ask the church to get to. And we know that some of you may never be able to give that amount, but you can still take it higher to some degree. Amen? At least make it 365 if you can't get to where we're asking the church to get to. My wife and I, we are already committed to this. Each year we try to take it higher because we believe, we see the need. We know what the needs are. And we know that it takes faithful men and women who are willing to give up their careers to come and work for the church to help move the church forward. And so we are, we're invested in this. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, I'm not commanding you to do this. This is not a command from the elders. This is not a command from the powers. It is not a command from us. It's an appeal. Testing the genuine of your love by comparing with the eagerness of other churches. You know, we're not commanding you to do this. We just want to put it out there and pray that the church responds. And here's the thing. I'm faithful because you've always stepped up. Over the past couple years, the Harlem Church has both. You guys have given us pledges, and you've surpassed those amounts over the past few years. Over This last year alone, you gave over $84,000 towards special contribution. Amen. You can give yourself a lot of rewards in that. I mean, you guys, that was a sacrifice. And we know it was not easy. And we know what we're asking the church to do now is not easy, but there's no other way. We are God's plan. We are God's plan. And just like Shinla's friend said, what we do is connected to generations. Generations will be saved. As we are blessed, God expects us to invest. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse, 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might 
become rich. Jesus invested in your salvation. He invested in your salvation, and he were called to follow in his footsteps and invest in the salvation of others. Can we do that? Amen. God is faithful. Jesus outgives us all the time. There is nothing that we can ever give back that will meet what God has done for us. And here's the thing. Being in New York, we're going to give more than what we receive from our churches, our brothers and sisters across seas. We're not going to, it's not even going to be equal. But their gratitude and their faith will inspire us and encourage us to show us how to live with less. Because they're already doing it. And they are still faithful to God Almighty without complaining and without arguing. And I want to close this out with a prayer. And I want to ask you to enjoy me in this prayer and pray. I want to encourage you to go back, talk with your spouse, see what you can do to reinvest in the mission. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, Father, we come before you just so full of gratitude that you have blessed us. God, we know that we could have been born, we could have been placed in a poverty-stricken world, a part of the world, or poverty-stricken communities, God. We could have been uh, in, in situations where our children uh, are threatened, God, where our very lives are threatened, but that's not where you have us. And God, you have rescued some of us from such, such situations. Uh, some have, have uh, risked their lives to come here to America for a better life, and you have allowed that to happen. And Father, you have given us the means, you have provided the seed, you have provided the bread, you have given us exactly what we need for such a time as this. And God, I am faithful that our church will step up to the plate. I pray that you will provide ways for us to be able to give back, that you will bless us in ways that we didn't expect, and that you will test us so that we can show you that we are grateful for what you've given us. God, bless us so that we can reinvest. We love and thank you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.